It takes a village to raise a child. It's quite rare today to be surrounded by friends and family when having a child. And so, for many, especially first-time parents, it can be a lonely journey with a lot of unexpected discoveries along the way. The aim of a village is to give you a place to hear honest stories from regular people on the parenting front line. No unsolicited advice. What's right for one person might not be for another. Take what you need and ignore what you don't. As you can probably tell, I'm making this podcast on my own. If you fancy supporting me, you can buy me a coffee on ko-fi.com forward slash a village or find the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening. Your host, Poppy. This is Saki's birth story. She speaks beautifully about her experience of birth, her expectations around pain, the mental load of motherhood, connecting with family and community, and she also talks openly about her pregnancy loss. As always, please remember that every pregnancy and birth is different, and if you are worried at all, please contact your midwife, the triage number, or your GP. Her final reflections on seeing our bodies in terms of abundance, not scarcity, have been ringing round my head ever since we spoke. Enjoy! Hello everyone, um, I am joined today by Saki. Tell us a bit about you, where you're from, what you do, um, yeah, a little bit of background. Hi, hi Poppy. Uh, my name is Saki. Um, I'm originally from India and I moved to the UK, um, well, five years ago now in 2018. Um, as a student, I came here to study uh, a master's in gender and development. And then I ended up getting a PhD um, as well in, in the same um, subject, the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, in London. So I'm currently uh, doing my PhD from there. Yeah, and I uh, had a baby last November and he's, uh, his name is Sahir and he's 10 months old now. Was that a planned decision or were you, tell us about your partner and... So uh, Nahush and I, we've been, Nahush is my, my, my husband. Uh, we've been childhood sweethearts. We've been dating for a while. And then in 2020, we decided to get married. Uh, it was it was during the COVID lockdown. I had flown back to India because it was also my fieldwork year uh, of my PhD. The fieldwork didn't really sort of end up happening the way I wanted it to because of COVID, obviously. But uh, um so I've always wanted to have a kid and um, I'd always, the, my thinking was that I would have a kid before I turned 30 or I don't know why this thing about wanting to do it before I was 30 was in my mind, but it was just there. And um, when we got married, I was 28 and obviously because of the pandemic a lot of a lot of these kind of goalposts had really shifted for I think all of us um, and they definitely had for me and Nahush as well so we did not we did not really plan to have a kid at that time um, but what happened was uh, a few weeks actually after after we got married and were kind of settling down in our new house um, I didn't get my period 
and um, I never sort of attributed it to a pregnancy. I just thought it was perhaps um, a sort of late cycle because because of all the stress of you know the wedding, uh, moving house. I also fell ill a couple of times during that period. I had a COVID scare, so it was all that. I thought I took a lot of antibiotics at the time. So I thought my cycle was just delayed and I just, I kept waiting and waiting. And then it, it reached a point where I think it had been almost two months and um, I thought, okay, well, I, I might as well do a pregnancy test uh, to, to sort of rule that out. And it, it came out positive, which was, which was a huge, huge shock to me and Nahush at that time. I just, I, neither of us were really in a place to think about kids think about having children at that time because we just got married um I was in my fieldwork year I was trying to figure out how to do that Nahush was um Nahush is a doctor he's currently working in the UK in the NHS but uh, at that time he was still looking for a job uh in the UK he was still trying to complete and finish his membership exams. So he was in that phase. I was in, in a different phase. And we were just in that whole sort of, how did this happen to us? Um, but um, yeah, so so it was, it was just a weird time. And then when we went to do the first, um, the scan uh, at the doctors, it was about... 10 weeks after after my period so my it had been 10 weeks since my last uh, period and which was which was I mean for a pregnancy I would say quite a significant sort of time had passed but the scan didn't really show um, uh, it just showed a gestational sac and it didn't show an embryo which was already kind of uh, a signal that things are not quite right um and the doctor was also a little hesitant. She was like, why don't you come back in a week's time? We'll do the scan again. So we went back in, in a week's time. And uh, at that time, there was, um, we did, we could see a little sort of embryo structure. There was a very faint sort of fluttering, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't the right size according to the date and according to what it should have been. Um, so, and and that was the point where the doctor actually asked me, "Do you do you want this pregnancy?" And um, that was such a like when I look back at that moment now, you know, and I'm somebody who's very very clearly pro-choice. I I believe in women's right to sort of take that decision for themselves when it comes to abortion but at that moment it, it was also a very difficult choice for me to say no and I my my thinking at that time was you know it's not like I absolutely don't want it it's it is with the person I love I have always wanted to have children we've also always wanted to have children together as a couple it's just that the timing is not right but is that a good enough reason um, and it's not something that happens very easily to everyone. So if it has happened, then, you know, and if it's, again, something that I've always wanted, then. So so it was so hard to actually, you know, say no. And I remember just, just being 
completely shocked the doctors and I was just like I want it you know so I, I just I couldn't say no and the doctor said okay and she gave me some medicines I think she gave me progesterone and she asked me to wait for a couple of weeks and come back again but she did say that um there might be a chance of the pregnancy sort of terminating um, because it was not growing uh, according to the right sort of uh, markers. So just to rewind, you have the you had an earlier scan than normal because normally it's around twelve weeks, isn't it? Yeah. And is that because you weren't getting were you having symptoms or? I was. I mean, at that. When this happened in 2020, I wasn't in the UK. As I said, I'd flown back to India for my field work. And in India, um, we went to a private uh, gynecologist who, who did the scans. So, I see. Sorry. Yeah. Got you. Yeah, of course. So that happened. I, I started taking the medication, but I remember coming home and thinking, okay, if this pregnancy is going to be difficult because if I'm already sort of so stressed about it, if I'm already being asked to take medication for it, I don't know if this is the kind of pregnancy experience I want. Um, so I, I was already sort of thinking, how do I how do I tell the doctor that maybe I don't want it if it's not going to be very healthy as a pregnancy? Um, but in a couple of days, I started bleeding. And uh, when I went back to the hospital to get that checked out, uh, the pregnancy was essentially, it had stopped. It had, yeah, there was no heartbeat. It was non-viable, as the gynecologist said. So that was painful. Um, it was physically also painful, I think. Um, but mentally, even more so, because... Uh, there's that strange sort of pain, which is both, there's a bit of guilt also, I think, in the sense that I kept thinking, did I manifest the the miscarriage, you know? Um, there's also this thing of, okay, I didn't want it, but why did this happen to me, you know? Um, even when it had happened and then it didn't happen. So, yeah, so, so it took... It took a while to um, come to terms with it, but I think I also um, realized that I didn't like the word miscarriage because it, it signifies a failure to do something or a failure to take something to its natural fruition, uh, like a miscarriage of justice. And you know that's where you sort of hear the term used quite a bit. And um, I thought, well, in this case, it's also putting the blame on my body for, for not being able to sustain the pregnancy. Whereas actually, I would rather, and, and I learned to sort of see my body as not something to be blamed, but something or, or an entity that actually took that decision for me. You know, when my mind was perhaps not strong enough to to take a decision my body did that for me and I think just that shift in my thinking was um, quite helpful in being able to deal with this that's amazing to take to learn that about yourself as well because it's so easy to 
take the blame on and feel the guilt ourselves for these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how did that, how was that for you in um, that period of time afterwards? Did you feel that must have been a whirlwind of emotions of kind of the relief because you were like, I wasn't sure, and then the guilt and the shame and the, the, all the things that kind of we shouldn't but we do feel. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was physically quite interesting because um, when I was pregnant, I was also experiencing nausea. I was experiencing fatigue. And it was, as I said, it was also a time when I'd had several infections and I'd taken medication. So I just, I don't remember that as a very healthy time. Uh, and I don't remember feeling very healthy. But the minute I knew that, or the minute, say, the bleeding, the day the bleeding started, and then I went to the hospital, and then the doctor decided that the abortion would be done medically. So um, she gave me um, medications to sort of ensure that everything comes out. Um, I immediately started feeling better. And the nausea actually just just reduced completely. And um, and th that was weird because, as I said, I was going through all these um, emotions and trying to sort of deal with the, the, the sort of trauma of it also to a certain extent. But physically, I was actually feeling much better than I'd felt in the past few weeks. Uh, so that was that was quite interesting. And the other thing was I I didn't get a didn't get the chance to share the news with a lot of people because it all happened so soon. It happened in a span of a few weeks that I found out that I was pregnant and then I well wasn't anymore. Um, so except for immediate family, uh, mine and my partners. Not a lot of people knew, none of my friends really knew about it. And I I didn't know how to tell them. I, there was no way to sort of talk about it as well. Uh, and it was again seen as something that was shameful, something that was uh, that needed to be sort of kept hidden. Uh, but then what happened was because I had gone through this and I was going through it, I started reading about about early pregnancy loss, and I realized, how common um, it actually was. And there were so many people who also around that time were sharing about, about their, you know, losses. So I remember um, Meghan Markle talking about it around that time. Um, I think Michelle Obama had talked about it in her book. And the more I read about it, the more I was like, this, this actually happens to so many women and there's uh, and and why should should it be something that you know uh, is is kept hidden away or is kept quiet? So I decided to um, I decided one day to just just tell everyone. So I I wrote this long ass you know letter <laughs> to my to my email really to my friends and um, some people in my family and I just decided to share it to everyone and I did and it felt really good it felt good to be able to uh talk about it as an experience that you went through which was which was a challenging experience but also something that you that i 
learned quite a lot from. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's just given me goose pimples thinking of. You know, it's. It's. It isn't talked about, and the only way that we make it more viable for people to talk about these things is by talking ourselves. So that's really beautiful. And how was that received by other people? It was. Um, it obviously. I mean, everybody was so lovely about it. You know, I got. Uh, the sweetest replies uh, a lot of people got on the phone with me just wanted to check in but also just you know just talk to me and share about their lives and it just it just became a really nice way and again as as I shall keep uh, reminding that was COVID and it was the period of lockdown so we weren't really um, meeting people so, so much we were all sort of in our own houses and it just it was it just became a really nice way to connect to yeah. people. Um, yeah. So after that, um, I was uh, Nahosh and I both kind of got busy with with life. Really, yeah. so I was able to finish my field work in whatever capacity. Um, I came back to the UK. Nahosh got a job in the NHS at that time, so he came back. Uh, and then we were both just settling down here. And um, it was last year uh, in January. So my birthday is in January. And in January 2022, I turned 30. <laughs> so that was, um, that was that moment of sort of realization again, where I was like, okay, this was one of my you know, goals before I turned 30, which did not happen. But you know what? It's okay. I mean, you know, I there's there's already two years of my life that have gone in a pandemic. So I'm just, I'm lucky to be alive at this point of time in my life. Um, so that was my thinking. But, um, but Nahush also don't, turned 30 around the same time. And we were both thinking, okay, what do we, what next, you know, what, what next for us? Um, and we realized that um, something that we both did want still was um, the experience of becoming parents. And uh, we thought this was a good time to start. If, uh, yeah. And so we decided to try in um, January, 2022, we decided to start trying. And I wasn't on any hormonal contraceptives. Um, so all we had to do was just stop using, you know, physical barrier contraception. And um, yeah, I was also taking, you know, vitamins. I was, I was doing yoga. I was being very healthy. Uh, my period was also very, very um, regular. It was coming exactly in 28-day cycles. So I thought I was in a good place um, physically and mentally, um, and I thought I was ready. So we started trying in January, and come February, I got my period. So I was like, okay, this is not as easy as it was the first time around. So, well... Uh, which bummed me out a little bit, but uh, I thought, okay, you know, it's okay. It takes time for everyone. So it's going to take a few months and that's okay. So, yeah, so we were still trying, but um, 
in early March, in the first week of March, I got a positive test, but it was for COVID out of the blue, you know, when when the pandemic was like ebbing. Um, so I was just like, okay, I'm just going to let it run its course now. Um, I, I, I did have a positive lateral flow test. So uh, I thought, okay. And it was around the time that I was supposed to be ovulating. So in my head, I was like, okay, this month's gone too. Nothing's happening this month. And then on 16th of March, I was going to get my period. And uh, actually the day before my my uh, expected date was 15th of March and I did not. So on the 16th in the morning, I decided to do a pregnancy test just to, just to rule that out, just to sort of check that that's not a thing. Uh, and it was positive again, which was shocker. Um, and I remember calling, video calling our parents and we just showed them the, the test and they thought that I was positive for COVID again. So they were just like, what is happening to you? And it took a while to explain to them that that was not a COVID test, that was a pregnancy test. Presumably, within that joy, there was some worry as well because of what had happened before. And so what happened? Well, how, how, how did you feel? What was your, what were you feeling at that moment? First of all, just a little bit of shock because I was really not expecting it. Um, really, really happy as well. Uh, but also, um, yeah, the, the anxiety started coming back. And I think once you've experienced uh, early pregnancy loss, I think, um, it, it, it also mars your experience of pregnancy, you know, the next time, because it's just, you're constantly thinking, I was constantly thinking, what if, what if it's a loss again? What if it, it doesn't go through again? Um, and I was constantly, you know, checking to see that I wasn't bleeding or spotting or cramping. Um, I called my GP and, uh, and this was about, four or five weeks um, after my last period. So I called my GP saying, I've, you know, I've got a positive pregnancy test. What am I supposed to do now? Uh, because also this was my first time experiencing this in the NHS. And um, my GP said, you know, you don't have to do anything right now. Just, just take it slow. I'll prescribe some prenatal vitamins for you. Just take them and uh, you'll do your first scan at 12 weeks. And I said, you know, 12 weeks is, is, is too long a wait and I've had this history of loss at 10 weeks. So can we do anything slightly earlier? And they just said, no, you know, you cannot get uh, an early pregnancy referral unless you've had three previous miscarriages. And that was such a horrible thing to say to someone that you that I needed to have had three losses in order to qualify or be eligible for a scan. Um, so that was that was really shocking. And I I asked my GP, you know, like I I I, I told my GP that I I had anxiety and I wanted to 
feel reassured and GP just goes, if you want to do a scan, you need to do it in private. So, yeah, so ultimately we did end up getting a private scan um, at around six weeks. And um, while it was still early, I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. And and it was. The, uh, the baby was growing well. The, the embryo was exactly the right size it was supposed to be. Um, there was a little flutter of the heartbeat. Um, so it was very reassuring. That's fantastic. I mean, it's not fantastic that you had to do that privately and it have have to have three. It just feels like it's um, trying to pass a test or something. But I'm glad that also that you had that wonderful moment of seeing the heartbeat and the flutter. And what was your what were your symptoms like? Were they different? Um, so until six weeks, I did not really have any symptoms apart from a bit of fatigue, but that could just be because of the uh, COVID infection earlier. But from six weeks all the way to around 14 weeks, I had severe nausea. So it was right after that scan, I came home and I threw up and I thought, well, it could just be the anxiety, you know, like I, it was so, I was so anxious before the scan and, you know, I thought maybe it was just all that. Uh, but then the, the sickness just did not stop and it just, it just went on for days and weeks and um, that was, that was exhausting. Were you throwing up regularly? Every day, uh, every day, at least twice. And on really bad days, it went to, I think my highest was seven times during the day. Oh my God. I didn't keep anything down. Uh, whatever I ate, I ended up throwing up. Sometimes even just water. If I If I drank a lot of water, I would throw that up too. Um... And it just, it was not nice because I'm somebody who loves food. <laughs> I love cooking. I love eating. I love watching videos of food being cooked. And I just had to delete. I mean, this sounds so silly looking back, but I couldn't even look at, uh, you know, food videos on Instagram or YouTube because it just, I was, uh, that used to make me sick. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, the only thing that I could eat was r just plain rice. Um, so that's what I had for oh. six, seven so, weeks. And then at 14 weeks, did it pass? It just magically stopped. <laughs> I think it, it gradually started reducing at around 12 weeks. Um and I could eat again. And then one day I just did not feel that urge to puke anymore. <laughs> and I, I, I must say, I tried everything. I tried those sickness bands. I tried um, eating ginger and a um, lot of other things, a lot of other remedies that I found online, but nothing worked. The only thing that did work was uh, after that really bad day where I puked, uh, I was sick for seven times. Uh, the next day I called my GP and said, this is happening. 
and they gave me a prescription for an anti-sickness medication that would work during pregnancy. Um, I think cyclozyme it was called. And that helped uh, in the sense that I was then sick only once or twice during the day and not seven times. What a win. <laughs> Actually, can I just add here the I the, the two place two two um things that really helped in this time. One was um there's there's an organization in the UK called Pregnancy Sickness Support. And I contacted them and they were lovely in the sense that a volunteer from that organization used to text me every single day asking me how I was and and also just sharing what, what they had gone through. And that was just lovely. Uh, and um, I think um, so I, I, because I'd, I'd phoned my GP and told them that I was going through this and I, and and that was also affecting my mental health because I was not able to eat anything. I, I felt sick, you know, all day, every day. Um, I remember a mental health midwife had called me and spoke to me quite a bit. And that was really nice. Um, so so I, I do think, you know, that the people I met through the NHS were lovely. It's just that as a system, I think... Um, it's just lacking in resources, maybe. But um, yeah, just just wanted to share that um, I got this really nice support. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. So second trimester, third trimester, you were the the symptoms passed. Did you, any other symptoms come out? Nothing, nothing at all. So my second and third trimesters were an absolute delight. Um, I think. It was like I, I had gone through this really, really bad time. And also because, I mean, coupled with the sickness, there was also the anxiety, which was completely debilitating at times, you know, of what if what if the um, pregnancy is not viable? What if something happens? Um, but I did, I did go through, uh, to my 12-week scan and everything was absolutely fine. I, I saw the baby jumping and playing and waving at us it was really cute um so yeah and and miraculously at around 13 14 weeks my sickness disappeared I was able to eat again and I just felt amazing and did that because when having spoken to other people about this there is this period of time where you the, the symptoms disappear but you're not yet showing or feeling them and that in itself can be a moment of anxiety for all of us but was the fact that you could eat food again did that make it joyful enough <laughs> I think I did I did feel like a little fluttering at around 16 weeks so I think I, I got all the other symptoms right on time and just the relief of not feeling sick constantly was so enormous and and as you said just the feeling of being able to eat anything that I wanted you let's move forward to right towards the end of the third trimester shall we so we're getting close to birth and did you always know how you wanted to give birth or did you have a um, specific birth plan um Yes, so 
the first thing was we decided that we would i would deliver in india uh, and that was majorly because i wanted to be close to my family and uh, i could bring my parents and nahush's parents to the uk but um, they would be able to stay only for a certain amount of time and they would also be slightly out of depth here so i thought it would be easier for me to go back and be surrounded by my friends and family and just the comforts of you know being in my parents' house and being you know treated like princess was yes <laughs> definitely definitely what how many weeks were you when you went back i was uh, just uh, getting done with my second trimester uh, i it's hard to maybe i think 26 or 27 weeks at, at that time um just just at the beginning of my my seventh month um so i went back uh, i was in india nahush obviously could not come back with me because he had to work uh, uh right until sahir was born but he came back uh a, a, like 10 days before before the birth Uh, so he was there which was lovely because one of my biggest anxieties in my in my third trimester and especially during the last month was what if <laughs> what if you know i have to do this alone <laughs> um uh, so yeah and i in india um they are not um they don't encourage home births so hospital births are well what are uh, encouraged and what are Uh, expected even um that my gynecologist was lovely uh and um something that i was uh, now if we if you were to move to the the story of the birth something that i was very scared of was the pain and um also you know when you hear stories of um other people's um you know experiences of delivery and labor um almost everyone i spoke to told me how painful it was and some of my friends who had also recently given birth said things like the pain was unbearable and like i felt like dying would be better <laughs> than this and that really informed my um sort of choice to um you know opt for an epidural so i told my gynecologist that look my pain tolerance is very poor i will not be able to manage it i need something i need an epidural and you have to give me one and sort me out um so she agreed she was like okay we'll we'll we i'll keep that in mind we'll see how it goes and uh so when the contraction started it um uh, yeah i'm going to say what how many weeks were you when the contraction started and where were you what time of day was it uh so it was i was 39 weeks exactly and uh, it was the 10th of november uh, i had my routine appointment with the doctor went to see her she was very happy she's like oh everything's great um you'll baby will come out you know any minute now um so just be prepared and i was like okay but when do you think is going to happen and she's like and i, I remember it was a it was a thursday 
so she's like don't worry i don't think it'll happen this weekend you know we'll you'll you, i probably you know you'll come back on monday come come see me again on monday so i said okay i have this weekend i can have fun this weekend um so i came home and i started feeling you know something in my back and nobody had told me that contractions start in the back so for some reason i just assumed that they would be felt in my stomach but i just kept feeling something in my back the whole day and it was not very intense so i just thought they were like false labor contractions you know um and um i went out for dinner that night with nahush because i don't know why i thought you know i just told him let's go out for dinner he said yeah sure and then we both went out uh we had a lovely dinner <laughs> and um i came back we watched uh, the first episode of crown i remember i think the crown that the last season had come out and we were watching it and um, yeah so and i and then we went to bed and the minute i lay down that's when it started hurting really bad until then the pain had been okay it, it had not even felt like a contraction or you know i i'd even thought that i was in labor but the minute i was flat on the bed it just it it became intensely painful and i told her hosh we need to go to the hospital right now uh so at around midnight we went to the hospital um obviously my doctor wasn't there but we called her and then she she said she asked the nurse to check me the nurse said i wasn't dilated enough so she just asked me to stay in overnight and she was like you know what we'll figure this out in the morning something will happen don't worry um so i said okay and the contractions were coming pretty regularly by then but again they were not that painful they were like really bad period cramps you know so and again i mean maybe it's just my experience but i am somebody who really really does not deal with pain very well so for me to say <laughs> that they weren't very painful i don't know so and they didn't get bad over the night you know so uh there was a point where they did become a little unbearable but they were also very short so they would last only like 10 to 15 seconds then at the most 30 seconds and then they would go so were you taking any painkillers at all at this point when i phoned my doctor the first thing i asked i reminded her was i was like do you remember the epidural i need it and she was like listen you're just like 2 cm dilated at this point we cannot give an epidural so early you need to be dilated at least you know like at least a few more centimeters before we can think about it so just just don't worry and and so one thing she told me which which i think was a really good tip was she said don't think of the don't resist the pain you know think of it as a wave that's going to wash over you and just ride the wave so when the pain comes just experience it and um and it's going to go so just 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 
the more you try to resist, the more stiff you're going to become and that's going to be even more painful. Um, so yeah, just think of it as a wave and you know, it's going to come, it's going to go, it's going to wash over you and then it's going to go. Um, and I did that and surprisingly that that helped, you know, it, it just helped to kind of visualize it in that way. Um, so yeah, so this went on uh, for about four hours. Um, I think by the time it was five o'clock, uh, the nurse was coming and checking me every uh, few hours, the nurse midwife. Uh, every hour actually and uh, she kept saying yeah yeah you are dilating but you know the doctor will 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 decide about the epidural because every time she came in I was like where is my epidural and um, yeah uh, so finally at five o'clock she said okay let's get you down to the labor room so what I was thinking was finally I am getting my epidural and <laughs> this this pain is going to go away. I wasn't even thinking about birth. For me, it was just my goal was pain relief, you know, nothing else. Um, so I was so happy. I was like, okay, yes, let's go down. So I went down. She asked me to wear the gown. And I was like, okay, maybe yeah, they need the back to be open for the epidural and so on. So they're asking me to wear this gown. So I did all that and then she's like okay this is the labor room now um and and I'm like okay I'll just I'll wait here and I, I waited for I think half an hour more and by that time the pain had gotten very very intense to the point where it wasn't pain it was just like I could actually feel um you know feel something coming down and I could feel that that sensation of like bearing down and the baby coming out really like everything it it, it was almost like uh to be very disgusting just the feeling you get when you when you want to go to the toilet and you just you know you, you you're dying to like get it out um so it was that and then the doctor comes in and the first question I ask her no surprises is what about the epidural now can I get it please and she checks me and she's just like, darling, it's it's too late now. Your baby's coming. And you know, it's we, you'll just you'll just have to do it, but don't worry, it'll be fine. And at that mo I mean, at that moment, I think I was also so like because of that pressure and because of that feeling of like, I was like, okay, let's just get it out now. I'm I'm just like done with this. So uh yeah, I think. And she said, you know, you just have to push maybe three or four times and he's going to come out. And I said, okay, let's do this, you know. Uh, so, and the funny thing was when we had rushed to the hospital the night before, I had I obviously packed my bag and the baby's bag. And I took my bag to the hospital, obviously. But because we thought this wasn't really labor. <laughs> We did not take the baby's bag. <laughs> so in the morning, uh, when I was taken to the to the labor room, uh, the, the doctor's telling Nahush and my, my parents and Nahush's parents, everybody's there. And she's like, where are the baby's clothes? The baby's going to come out. And they were just like, we, what do you mean? Uh, we, we never got anything. We did not get the baby's bag. 
uh, so Nahosh had to rush home, get the bag, and uh, by the time I was like, where is where is my husband? Where is my baby's father? And um, but thankfully he came on time. He was there, and um, in the next uh, ten minutes, Sahil was born. So it was literally a few pushes, and before I knew it, even. You know, she's just handing me this baby. She's like, here, here is your baby. Do you um, remember? So you will remember. What position were you in when you gave birth? Did you- I was on the um, the platform. I was just lying down. And um, I remember they had asked me to, they hadn't strapped my legs in or anything, but they did ask me to um, push my legs towards my tummy. Uh, and I had a couple of nurses hold them down and just kind of help me um, put pressure, I think, on the tummy so that the baby came out. But but I was on my back. Um, and honestly, at that, uh, I, I was fine with that. I, uh, you know, it's like 30 minutes ago, I wanted an epidural and <laughs> suddenly I have, I have a baby in my hands. And it was just very... Um, sorry yeah that's I mean that's just fantastic what a what a brilliant I love and the focus on the epidurals just I think sounds like it got it got you through um so you sound sounds like you had two very different uh you can almost divide your labor into two the contractions before during the day when it almost you weren't even sure that it was contractions and then the contractions later when you knew that you were contracting can you describe for us in your own words how what both felt like so the uh the ones during the day um were as i said um they just felt like period cramps you know the kind that you feel maybe on on your first day (laughs) Uh, or uh, maybe slightly before when you know that you're going to, that your period is going to start. Um, yeah. And then the ones later, obviously, apart from the, the pain felt like it was almost like an elastic band around my stomach. That was, um, you know, that was um, putting that pressure on on my belly and on on my uterus um yeah that is that's a a great description I know I can yeah um so did you stay in hospital for a bit afterwards or did you go straight home I stayed in the hospital for a couple of days because um the doctor did give me a, a cut on the vagina uh I think it's called an episiotomy um so um, I did get some stitches there and um, they just keep you in the hospital for a couple of days to monitor that and to monitor your bleeding in general and um, also the baby. And since we were all quite fine, um, they they sent me back in a couple of days time. So yeah, it was honestly those Two days in the hospital were just, if I look back, they were so blissful (laughs) because, you know, I felt like I was on the top of the world. I had 
I felt like I had run a marathon and won the first prize, you know. Um, it's just such a lovely feeling. And I think with all the hormones, it just, it was a very nice cocktail, I think. Uh, and yeah. to rewind very quickly, what a wonderful date of birth. Yeah, absolutely. 11, 11, 22. That's amazing. so a few days later and you go back home and I don't know for me I always found that moment when you got back home something shifts it's I think you're in a different you're like oh right right now we've got to do this and did you stay in India how did that work with Nahushu's work and um so yeah, you're absolutely right. So the minute I came home um, that evening, I, I felt as if the pain and the fatigue and the lack of sleep even of the past few nights just just came cascading down, you know, and uh, it just, it hits you like a wall suddenly, you know, that, that realization of just how tired you are. Um, and... I think I, I think in the hospital I was also on a couple of painkillers which had stopped. So the the physical I think sensation of the pain also hit me. Um, and yeah, those next few weeks were not the nicest. So it was, um, it was the mixture of suddenly not being able to sleep so much at night. Um, honestly, I didn't even know that you had to wake up every two hours to feed the baby. Because what happened with Sahir was he slept so well the first night. He just, he slept almost the entire night long. And when we woke up, I was obviously exhausted from the night before and I slept. And then the next morning, I was happily telling my doctor that he's such a good baby. He just, he slept through the night, you know. And she just looked at me shocked and she's like, but but you had to wake him up and feed him. And I said, why? He was sleeping. She's like, no, you have to feed him. And what happened was the next day, he actually did not pee as much as he, he was supposed to. And that really worried the doctors too. So then they were just like, no, no, you have to wake him up every, you know, two to three hours and you have to feed him. Um, breastfeeding was very difficult in the beginning because again it's just something that's um it was just not spoken about as as a skill that needs to be learned really you know it was just um people just talked about it as if okay you know you just you just know how to do it and sure you do like you learn how to do it but those initial few days you know were really tough because he was not sahir was not latching on properly um I kept thinking, you know, is my milk really coming in? And I got I got a bit of sore nipple uh, as well. So that used to hurt a lot. And I remember thinking at one point, because, and then I also had hemorrhoids. So I remember thinking literally every point that is supposed to give me pleasure is giving me pain. <laughs> <laughs> And um, like my physiotomy stitches were paining. I was bleeding. I had hemorrhoids. 
and my nipples were sore. <laughs> so I was just like, what is happening? What is this pain that I'm living through? Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So those those initial few weeks were quite tough. And um, what was also really tough was Nahush was there for um, around a month's time. Because as you know, the UK um, paternity leave laws are that you can only get paternity leave for two weeks. Uh, in the NHS, it is two weeks. So he did combine his um, remaining annual leave with, uh, with the paternity leave. So he did get around a month off, but obviously that wasn't enough. And he had to go back before Sahir turned one month. And um, that was, I mean, obviously it was really sad for him as well because he didn't want to leave us. And um, it was really, really hard for me because I, I, although I was at my parents's and they were incredibly, incredibly supportive and helpful, just it, it, it was just not the same without a partner. Yeah, that's... Um... I think that's one of the hardest things is when all you want to do is be there with your partner and you can't. Did, have you spoken much since about that time looking back? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, obviously, Nahosh and I have spoken quite a bit about it because we did go through um, quite a tough time also as a couple, right, trying to figure out um, what our relationship was sort of... Um, looking because because there was there was a lot of like um resentment sometimes also because I used to be like why aren't you here why do I have to do everything by myself um and also suddenly having this this third person in our life um and in our in our sort of uh coupledom even um was quite quite new and just just to navigate that uh, so we did speak quite a lot about it. And I think um, in my own study, so I, as I said, I'm a student of gender studies and um, something that we did speak about quite a bit uh, in the classroom was the sort of unpaid or invisible labor of care that oftentimes, you know, is uh, given to women um, sometimes because of their bodies as well and, and and the work and the labor that your body does is just not remunerated not even acknowledged or valued as labor and I think it was very interesting to live through that as well and to actually experience how how much time goes in breastfeeding for example you know and I read later that it's like it's almost the same as, um, you know, like, I think a little more than part-time work. So if somebody worked part-time for a year, I think they would be working less, uh, fewer hours than, you know, the hours you spend breastfeeding for a year. So, so just that, or even the mental sort of, uh, work of it of thinking is my baby feeding enough is he sleeping enough is he okay is he uh, putting on weight you know so just oh, like when is his next vaccination is he meeting all his milestones so just just all that also is 
um it's of course very exciting and very rewarding but it's also very exhausting and <laughs> it is no it, it's absolutely exhausting in a way that you cannot even explain sometimes because it's so relentless and wonderful but relentless um yeah that's 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 really hard and did you how long did you stay in India when did you did you come back oh around four months after Sahir was born Uh, came back end of March which was really lovely because it was spring here in the UK so we came back and the weather was slightly better <laughs> and I, I was very happy to miss the winter in the UK because I'm just not a fan of it. What was the journey over here like? Um, that, is it did you is it a direct flight or did you go it it was a direct flight, yes. Um so Nahush actually did visit uh, uh once um before we came here. So we did get some time with him in the middle as well which is really nice and uh, that was also the time we did a little um, in India we call it the Barsa or the naming ceremony for the for the baby so we did that for Sahir uh, so we were able to sort of meet our friends and family and that was really nice um, and then when I came here uh, I had both my mom and Nahush's mom um, travel with me uh, and and Sahil obviously um, so that was very special um, yeah yeah so we the the journey was actually much smoother than I had sort of anticipated um, and and once we got here as well I thought you know maybe he it'll be hard for him to get used to the cold but he loves he loves the cold. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, and he was very happy being here. And he also adjusted really well, you know. The only thing um, is, which which still continues, is the fact that he does not sleep through the night. He hasn't slept through the night yet, and he's 10 months now. So I haven't slept through the night yet. Um, but I guess you just get used to it, don't you? You just get used to, like, not sleeping the full eight hours does it feel um I want to come back to the sleep thing just um totally I have exactly the same I'm exactly the same Siggy doesn't sleep through the night and hasn't yet um but when you got here because so so you had almost had like two you got the you get you're at the hospital and you got home and you have that moment and then you have another kind of home getting from India coming to your home in the UK. And was that another moment of being like, right, how is this going to work? Well, that's a very interesting question. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, It did feel, um, it actually, so going home from the hospital, I think that moment was much, much more difficult than coming home to the UK, to a home here. Uh, I think one, because uh, I was finally um, coming back to Nahush and the both of us were going to be together after after a long time, after almost seven months of like being apart. Um, so that felt really nice. And also just, I used to just imagine and sort of fantasize about, and I used to tell Nahush, 
once I come home, you are the one who's going to wake up and change the diaper or feed Sahil. I'm I'm just going to sleep. So even even just to just to be able to have um this other person who's going to look after baby, especially at night, um, um, just to have that partner was really nice, I think. So it was it was very um just very reassuring coming home to him and to being parents together yeah of course the of course it was hard to because I had gotten used to a routine at home in India and there are many more people who are just around to help so starting from family starting from you know friends who will come visit and who will spend time with you and uh, suddenly to find myself here without a lot of support in terms of uh, friends and family who come and help because everybody all our friends here are also quite busy with their own lives so um, just to have that uh, intergenerational I think support as well uh, and that network uh, or that community around us I think was something that I really missed and I still do miss actually so um that's that's the only thing that's been quite hard but um yeah definitely the view um but should we talk again very quickly about sleep because i think it is it is a really fascinating thing that you go through where you have so long of broken sleep and there are days as you've just said where you just manage to get by and you're fine and you think oh i'm i can handle this i'm into a flow i can i can manage with that with broken sleep and then there are other days and sometimes it's not even the days when you've had the worst night's sleep um where it all hits what's that like for you yeah the sleep thing has been has been quite uh quite a challenge to to get around and um yeah in the early days I I was just a mess because and I think I kept getting really angry about it too uh and I would think why is this happening why is he not sleeping you know like and you hear stories or sometimes you read on forums where moms are like oh my baby started sleeping through the night at like two months so one month and you're just like what is wrong with my baby? Why isn't he sleeping? And um, so I used to approach it from this perspective of, of anger and frustration. Uh, and it just made it so much harder, I think, for myself. Because I would just be like, okay, why, 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 why are you not sleeping? And um, I don't know how or when this happened because... I remember even, and I think Nahush also, uh, interestingly what happened with Nahush is because the first four months, he did not really experience that so much because his schedule here was relatively unchanged. So when I came back with with baby, suddenly it was an upheaval for him where his routine was absolutely, you know, um, shaken apart. And and he also he he also didn't have the luxury of staying at home with with baby, so he had to go and work, and that too in a hospital, you know, seeing patients, and then come back home to a baby who is not sleeping through the night. So 
it it was also really tough for him to kind of and he went through that cycle of frustration as well um and we tried so many things you know we looked up um remedies or like things you could do to make the baby sleep through the night but nothing seemed to work um and i think at when sahir was around 6 months when he started eating solids he started sleeping a little better so he did sleep maybe 3 or 4 hours at a stretch whereas earlier he would sleep only like a couple of hours um so i think it was around that time when nehosh and i were also like it's okay you know we just kind of got into the rhythm of it and we were like okay this is our life now <laughs> and you you start seeing the fun or the funny side of it I think eventually it takes a while, but you get there. And just because I know you wanted to just talk about it a little bit, but maternity laws with for international students, and you 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 met some troubles on that front, did you? Yeah, it's uh, so I honestly just I was living in this like fantasy that um, you know everything would be great. when uh because i was having a baby like i would be excused everywhere uh and it turns out that that's not the case so um <laughs> i just i didn't know that in the uk if you're here on a student visa which is the tier 4 visa you and and if you do get pregnant um it basically means you need to go back to your own country because uh as a student you're not entitled to more than 60 days of leave uh and if you do take more than 60 days of leave then uh your visa sponsorship essentially has to end uh which means you need to go back to your country and um uh, that was just very unexpected because uh for a while we were thinking of um the possibility of having the baby in the uk itself um and when i did speak to the visa advice team at my uni this is what they told me and i just i found that extremely weird so i i did look it up but that's what the law is now and it's become very strict after covid where they really want students to come to the uk and just uh stay here so um yeah so so it did then kind of cement our decision to 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 go back and deliver the baby there Uh, and that did mean that my uh, student visa sponsorship ended but luckily because nahush is here on a work visa i was able to get a dependent visa for myself of his um so so that worked out fine in the end for me but i was just um thinking you know um if it's another student who gets pregnant here does not have a partner with a uh, sort of work visa or any other kind of visa and now with the new um i think with the new uh visa rules if you're a master student you cannot get a dependent visa so which which means basically if you do get pregnant you need to go back to your country and you can't even bring back your kid uh to the uk anymore because you know no dependence it's been a little more hostile than I I expected it to be. Uh, has that has that affected your thoughts about yeah. staying in the UK or wanted all that joy and you've been met with something that's 
not so joyful <laughs> yeah yeah it's been um uh, i don't well it's 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 an ongoing discussion with me and nahosh honestly because we love we love being here we love the um the sometimes even the anonymity and the the struggle of of you know starting a new life in a new country and that's something that has always excited us and was one of the reasons we did want to uh, move to the uk in the first place uh, obviously for me it was also the educational opportunities for nahush as a doctor he's really hoping to um uh, complete his uh, specialization training here um so so there are a lot of pulls uh, to to stay in the uk for the both of us i do miss i do miss family i do miss that sense of community that i get back in india and i feel like that's something that i also want for sahir growing up uh, yeah absolutely wonderful what is wonderful story and a beautiful kind of crossing from country to country i think that's um it's quite interesting hearing the comparison of the two um and that's really really beautiful so i have three final questions for you um which i ask everyone so the first one is what's a top tip or piece of advice that you would give to your former self yeah so i think um so even pre pregnancy i was quite uh, overweight i still am and um something that used to bother me quite a bit was my weight and my size and uh i kept sort of attributing that to ill health as well so i kept thinking oh i'm fat which means i'm not fit which means i'm not healthy and um i always used to think of my body also then as not being enough you know so not being good looking enough or not being thin enough you know not being fit enough um and i think throughout the pregnancy that was a worry that i had and i think was also echoed around me so by say well wishers or in quotations or you know like concerned family and friends will be like oh but you know you're slightly on the higher side you know like is is that going to be an issue in the pregnancy is that going to be an issue like will you need to have a c section and i i used to be like what is the relationship between well obesity and maybe there is i i don't know but um so there was that concern and part of it i understand because there there are increased risks but uh but i think for me it was also about my relationship with my body and how i um how i thought of my body and 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 i've realized after pregnancy and after this beautiful experience of childbirth i realized that my body is so much uh so much more than what i give it credit for and i think i need to see it in that lens of abundance and not scarcity so i need to stop thinking about it as not being good enough you know and think of it as something that is so much more than good enough and um capable of so much you know uh so that's i think that's a reminder that i um i sort of tell myself not 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 just my past self really but even even now i have to keep reminding myself of it occasionally um, that is 
Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it's something I know so many people think about and talk about. And you're absolutely right. Just thinking of it in the terms of abundance instead of scarcity is is absolutely the way that we should because we're incredible. <laughs> exactly. And our bodies are... I mean, they're, they're producing human beings, you know, uh, and that's whatever I've read about it, not an easy thing at all. And they're keeping, you know, us alive. They're keeping our babies alive. Even now, even now, my body is producing food for my baby. So uh, there are so many times where I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I've grown even fatter <laughs> or you know my my breasts are just so whatever floppy not the same as they were before but then you know I and and this is a practice I feel like I I have cultivated because it's not easy it doesn't come easily and it's so easy to kind of go back into that spiral of oh god I look terrible oh god this is terrible um so just to be able to say you know what you are amazing you're doing a lot right now um yeah just to be able to say that to yourself um it requires that cultivated i think <laughs> practice beautiful just beautiful thank you so much for that one um so the next question is what's the best thing that you've done one-handed i was uh, thinking about this actually i think the you know, like when you're holding your baby and you want to pick something off of the floor, that is nothing short of a yoga pose. <laughs> it's just just the balancing act of it, you know, you're making sure the baby's not falling, but then also being able to like um crouch down and 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 pick stuff that's fallen off the floor. So that's that's what I have uh that's that's the best thing that I think I've been able to do one-handed. I don't know if that qualifies as one. No, definitely. It's a it's a skill. It's a real skill. <laughs> and finally, um what food have you dropped on him whilst you've been feeding him? So interestingly I don't eat when I'm breastfeeding. I, I just I just haven't. I I eat otherwise quite a lot. I snack quite a bit, but somehow it's just not something I do while breastfeeding. So what I do do, however, is um, just spend time on my phone. Like I'm constantly just doom scrolling on my phone. And there have been so many times when I have dropped the phone on his forehead. Um, Yes, that has happened. And I've also bought an unnecessary amount of things off of Amazon, um, you know, courtesy my breastfeeding time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I've dropped it as well. <laughs> um, amazing. Looking back over everything you shared with us, is there anything that you haven't mentioned that you'd like to mention or any reflections having come through the other side of this story? I think what I really like about this podcast too is that you know it's it's your own story and it's 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 just being honest about how it was and and to to know that everyone's story is going to be different. Um, so yeah, I just feel like I wanted to put my story out in the world because the stories I heard were you know sometimes quite negative either about 
the body or about the birth itself you know where a lot of the negative things used to be highlighted like the pain and the uh like like it's like your bones are breaking apart and 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 the, the sort of the the trauma or the 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 scariness of it all and i think um, i i did not realize that it did not have to be like that it did not always it for for some people yes it could be and and very unfortunately there are people who might not have a very nice experiences but there might also be experiences which may be joyful and i just wanted to share mine especially because i also have a history of like not feeling great about my body so i think for me this whole experience was actually reconnecting with my body and reconnecting very positively with my body so yeah i love that so much and finally because you told me just before we started recording can you tell us what all of your names mean because i think that's really beautiful my name sakhi means friend um in hindi and urdu as well and um sahir means a uh, magician um and uh, so one of the reasons we wanted to i was actually um, i i did find out that it was going to be a boy uh because um, i did in the in the fifth month scan in the 20 week scan um and i was very clear that if it was a boy he would be named sahir because one of my favorite um poets and lyricists from south asia is somebody called sahir ludhianvi who's um yeah who's who's, who's a very well known um um lyricist in the in the hindi and bollywood uh, film industry but uh, he's also just somebody whose life was really inspiring to me um and his thinking about things he was a very like um idealist um kind of a guy in his time very ahead of his, his time as well so yeah i love that name for for my son that's beautiful that is really really beautiful um well thank you so so much um for sharing and really really appreciate it thank you so much poppy for having me and for letting me share the story wonderful thank you for joining us on a village If you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating and share with others. You can find us on Instagram by searching for A Village Honest Stories. Until next time, bye!